and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to talk a little about managing soybean cyst nematode. But if you've got any questions uh, for us or anything is going on in your farm that you would like to talk about, we'd love to take your phone call. Our number here is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. You can email us, radio at agphd.com, or send us a note on Twitter, agphdmedia, Darren Hefty, or Brian Hefty. We are live in the Morton studio today, and uh, before we get going into our, our big topic of cisnematode, I just wanted to make you aware we do have a number of Ag PhD winter workshops this year uh, that we've got one week where we're doing three different seminars here right on our farm at our field day site in the Morton Center. We can hold about a thousand farmers or so in the Morton Center. So got plenty of room if you would like to join us on the first day. That'll be January 28th. We're doing a tiling clinic. Darren and I were just meeting this morning talking about what we're going to do exactly at the tiling clinic. It'll be a lot of fun. Uh, The next day, January 29th, weed, insect, and disease workshop. And then on January 30th, a soils clinic. So these will be great sessions. They're all free. We put them on for free uh, in part to say thanks to you for listening to us here on Ag PhD Radio and for watching us on Ag PhD TV. And we really enjoy the opportunity to meet individually with farmers and even in large groups like this, um, you'd still have plenty of opportunity to ask questions of us and others. So it's uh, it's a lot of fun. We hope you can join us for those. We do have a couple of collegiate agronomy workshops again this year where we're giving away in total, I think it's 40 college scholarships. So if you have a college age student, we would love to have them join us. Um, and all this information, by the way, is on our website at agphd.com under the events tab if you want to check that out. But uh, the one we're doing here on our farm is January 20th, and then we're doing another one in Watertown, South Dakota, a collegiate agronomy workshop on February 12th. Now, you don't have to be in college to attend those workshops. We cover a lot of things, everything from tiling, I mean, just some basic things on tiling, weed control, insect control, disease control, soils. So it's a lot more... I, I want to say basic information, but it's funny. We've had a lot of 65-year-old farmers attending with their son or especially with their grandson or granddaughter because the granddaughter or grandson is in college. And they go, oh, yeah, I didn't know that. And I picked this thing up at the, at, at the collegiate workshop. And so anyway, it's a lot of fun. And the other thing that you can do if you go with your college-age student, it brings up a lot of questions. So, for example, I have a son who is a freshman in college, and I've never talked to him more about agriculture since he started because now he's got all these things where he's like, well, they're teaching us this in class. What do you think about that? And then we get to com- I, I get to comment on all those things. And anyway, it just it gives you a much better opportunity to speak to your college-aged student. Again, all this information's at agphd.com under the events tab. So, like I said, uh, the the first workshop that we're doing, um, the first full workshop, is January 28th at Tiling Clinic. And so Darren and I were talking about this this morning, and I, I just feel like there's so much in agriculture that gets misrepresented all the time. And tiling is just a, another great example. If you 
ask the average person who is a non-farmer, well, what do you think about drain tile? Most likely, you're going to hear something negative because the media has brainwashed them into thinking that tile's bad. In fact, there are many farmers even that I'll talk to that, I'm dead serious, the media or others in our society have brainwashed them into thinking that tiling's bad, and I'm going, are you nuts? Tiling is fantastic for the environment. It's one of the best things you could possibly do for the environment. So, I mean, if you're an environmentalist, you should be pro-tiling, not anti-tiling. I, I mean, people don't even understand how this stuff works. So, anyway, it's just it's fun to kind of talk through those things, explain how these things actually work so people understand them better. Same thing when we start talking about pesticides. Huge misconceptions on pesticides. I, I mean, there's no pesticide we use on our farm today that's even half as dangerous as many of the household cleaners you have right below your kitchen sink. I can promise you that. Uh, soils. Here's another big thing where when you think about just soils in general, there's so much to know and so much you can do to improve things on your farm. And But even with a few simple steps that we can teach you in half a day, you'll be able to go home and say, oh, okay, now I know how to make this recommendation. Or if nothing else, you can keep your fertilizer dealer honest. Because let's face it, there are a lot of fertilizer dealers out there, and I'm not saying yours is probably great, okay? But there are a lot of fertilizer dealers out there who have stuff in the shed that they have to sell. And surprisingly, your recommendations end up being similar to all your neighbors, even though your goals are different, your soils are different, your crops in some cases are even different. So what does that tell you? All I'm getting at here is knowledge is incredibly powerful. And as farmers, it's really hard to know everything about everything because there is so much to know and so many changes are happening all the time. So that's part of the reason why we do all our Ag PhD media things and why we do these workshops. So we can actually We'll have agronomy books for you. We'll even quiz you on a few different things and uh, try to send you home with some really, really good information so you can make, hopefully, great decisions on your farm. And the most important thing that we talk about all the time is you've got dollars you're going to invest in your farm. But how do you best invest those dollars? That's the ultimate end goal, and that's why we do a lot of these things, because it's not necessarily about how much you spend. It's about how you spend those dollars and where specifically and when specifically you're going to spend them. So hopefully, if that all goes well, you're making more money on your farm each and every year. Well, one of the things you may invest in on your farm is protecting your soybean crop from soybean cyst nematode. We're going to talk about this devastating pest and what you can do to help get higher yields on your farm. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Find your full potential and increase your bottom line with branded generic herbicides from Atticus LLC. Tough broadleaf weeds are a hassle, but they're no match for Cavallo from Atticus. Cavallo delivers fast, contact, and residual control so your corn, soybean, and sorghum crops can thrive. Growers across the region count on Atticus for relevant and reliable products that deliver results every time. Ask your local retailer about Atticus products and visit AtticusLLC.com to learn more. For value-based solutions you can trust, turn to Atticus. Always read and follow label instructions. 
How much yield did you lose the moment you planted your seed? Introducing the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Designed and built by a farmer tired of seeing yield loss from poor stands, the Germinator gives your crop the strong start it needs for maximum yield. Visit farmshopmfg.com. Increase your productivity with Hypro's Dual React Control System. The dual nozzle body design allows you to drive at the speed you want while maintaining the rate and droplet size you need. Hypro, helping you spray better. Soil needs plants to stay healthy, just like plants need soil to survive. Nature thrives on forming connections. Farmers thrive on forming them too. With Indigo Marketplace, we're setting out to connect every farmer with every buyer, making it easier to find a market for the things that make your farm unique. Visit indigoag.com questions to find out more. Indigo. From questions, we grow. White mold and sudden death syndrome are two of the most important fungal diseases in soybean production today. But did you know 40 to 50 million acres in the north central region are affected annually? When every season has different disease challenges, the question becomes how can you ensure the best start for your soybeans no matter what? The answer is Heads Up Seed Treatment. Trusted by growers across the Midwest, Heads Up offers a new mode of action to prime your beans to help fight fungal disease. For more information, visit HeadsUpST.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton Studio today. We're going to tackle a really tough pest, soybean cyst nematode, on our show today. We're also going to have our phone lines open. If you have a comment or would like to ask an agronomic question, we'd love to hear from you. It's 844-44-AG-PHD. Of course, you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com, or find us on Twitter, AgPhD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. Let's head up to North Dakota. Got Sam Markell with us right now with NDSU. That's North Dakota State University for those of you in other parts of the world. Sam, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right, we're talking about soybean cyst nematode, and right away I thought it'd be fun to start uh, start up in North Dakota because I know some of our neighbors to the south would say, wait a second, you don't have nematodes in North Dakota, do you? But the answer is different, isn't it? Yeah, the answer has changed a lot in the last, say 10 to 15 years so soybean cyst has really expanded dramatically we didn't we didn't have it until 2003 that's when we first found it anyways and now we've got it 19 different counties in the state it's amazing i know uh, when when we first found soybean cyst nematode in our home state of south dakota it was kind of the same thing it was oh it's just a small area and a few growers and this kind of thing but quickly we found oh yeah it's uh, really moved a lot faster than we thought so once you have this problem you can't really get rid of it. So what are you finding as good methods of managing soybean cyst nematode? Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, once you got it, you own it. And it's it's an unfortunate situation, too. Lots of times when people first get it up here, you know, they might not want to talk about it. And that doesn't help at all. So really, to manage it, you you have good genetic resistance. I mean, 88788 is a source of resistance that's in most of the varieties. And then you have another source called Peking. And in our area, those are generally working quite well. That's not necessarily true in some of the other parts of the country. The nematode is changing. It's overcoming the resistance, but that works really good. And then crop rotation is really critical. Crop rotation is really helpful. And we have a lot of good crops to rotate too. It's not just corn and wheat, but it's uh, pretty much anything except say maybe dryable beans and soybeans. And then there's a whole bunch of new nematicide seed treatment products out there as well. 
And we don't have as much data on these, but this is a really good development uh, for soybean growers. Yeah, it's it's interesting, too. You talk about some of these seed treatments. Some of them are fungicides, yet they're seeing some sort of activity on the on the nematodes as well. And, and certainly there are products that just outright kill nematodes. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot of excitement about seed treatments as helpers, but I haven't heard any of them advertising, oh, you don't need a resistant bean, just use our seed treatment. Yeah, that's right. So we we work with the companies really closely, and and all of them are pretty clear that it's not a substitute for genetic resistance. It just, you know, seed treatments in in any context, you know, whether it's uh, Pythium or Phytophthora or something like that, they don't last, you know, the whole season. You know, they're really good for that for that two to three, maybe four week period where the beans are getting up. You know, they help them get healthy and stay healthy. But, you know, they just don't last forever. And that's no different with uh, with any of the nematicide seed treatments that we're working with. You know, it, it's been interesting. We we do hear a lot of focus uh, across North America looking at soybean cyst nematode. But there are other nematodes out there. Are there any other nematodes that you're talking about in North Dakota at this time with the wide variety of crops that are raised there? Yeah, this is really an, uh, an evolving science, I think, up here. So we... In our department of plant pathology, we just hired our first nematologist three or four years ago, and that was specifically for this reason. So we have a lot of different nematodes in the soil. Soybean cyst is sort of unique where it's a specific pathogen or parasite of a specific plant, but there's a lot of other nematodes out there that you might think of more like uh, like grazers. You know, so they go from one crop to another. They don't care too much, a little harder to manage, but in some cases cause tremendous yield loss. Yeah, it's, it's a really an interesting topic. I know a lot of farmers that we visit with are, are interested to learn more, but but yet on their farms are at a point where, ah, I know I've got some in my soybeans. I don't really know much else. So they're certainly looking for every source of information they can find. Uh, Sam Markell with NDSU, North Dakota State University, with us right now. And uh, I know North Dakota State doing some work on that and, and anxious to see uh, some more data as as more trial work gets done. Hey, Sam, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on today. Yeah, thank you. Have a good day. You too. Uh, let's head down to the state of Iowa. Well, we know we've had soybean cyst nematode in Iowa for quite a while. we got Steve Silfer with us. He works with Valent. Uh, Steve, how are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? Well, pretty good. Pretty good. Okay. Uh, you know, we think about seed treatment options here for, for nematodes. And, and Sam Markell with North Dakota State was just on talking about that specific topic. Uh, I know you do a lot of work on this as well. What what are we learning with the seed treatment options helping us out with soybean cyst nematodes? Well, what Valen has to offer is a VOEZ nematicide. It's a, it's a liquid biological. It's a, it's a bacteria um, in solution that uh, colonizes the roots and provides that protection against soybean cyst nematodes. You know, you, you think about that. There there are certainly things out there in nature that are fighting against almost everything. And when it comes to nematodes, there are bacterial strains like uh, the one that you're using, or I, I should say uh, the, the bacillus that you're using in Aveo to try to fight nematodes. What does it actually do? Is it protecting roots? Is it killing nematodes? How does it work? Well, it's protecting the roots, and it, it's what it does. It creates an environment around the roots, and similar to, like, you and I on a really hot day in July, we just don't want to be there, and we don't want to do anything, and that's that's essentially what it does to the nematodes. It grows around, around the roots of soybean plants. It creates this environment 
that uh, they don't want to they don't want to be there. They don't want to feed. They don't want to reproduce. And so, uh, whether it kills them or not, I guess is still maybe a little bit up for debate. But it sure keeps them away long enough that they probably starve to death. So. Uh, that's kind of the mode of action we're looking at. You know, one of the challenges is we talk to different seed companies and seed dealers uh, across North America. They say, man, I, I want to have a fungicide or multiple fungicides. I want to have an insecticide. I want to do some inoculants. They've got all these things they want to put on the seed. How does Aveo work mixing with other things since it is a, a biological product? Uh, so you've got a, a bacteria there. Do some of the other seed treatments fight against it, or does it mix pretty well with other things? Well, it actually mixes really well because what Aveo has is a lot of CFUs, we call them, which are colony-forming units. So it's a highly concentrated bacterial solution that uh, the rate on it per unit of soybeans is around just a tenth of an ounce. So it, when you put it into the solution or the slurry that you're putting on a, on a soybean seed, uh, if you're running the treater, it doesn't change the color, it doesn't change how it treats, and it literally doesn't hardly add anything to the solution that you're putting on there. So I know that's kind of a big issue right now with a lot of things going on with, a, with some high rates and getting that seed dried so the farmer you know, has a good experience of of that seed flowing into the planter and this will change nothing. You know, it's, it's interesting. A lot of people don't realize how much work Valent is doing on, on the seed treatment piece and just all the different components that you are looking at. Cause I know uh, we've, we've worked with a number of the mycorrhizal fungi type products. Uh, and we're talking about a bacterial product here of Veo to, to fight nematodes or protect against nematodes. The bacterial products seem to be a lot easier to handle and work with. Is it always going to be that way or, or, or are fungi just a little more fussy? Well, fungi could be a little more fussy um, it, it, to work with, I guess, from what I've seen in my experience. But the bacteria, uh, it's very hardy that goes into the Aveo. And I've had a lot of questions on, can you use hot water? Can you use uh, chlorinated water? What about high iron? And every time the answer has been, nope, it's very hardy. So in that case, I'm, I would say, yes, the bacteria is, is a pretty hardy substance or a pretty hardy life form to work with versus uh, versus the fungicide. Just got about 30 seconds here, Steve, but uh, root knot nematode, get a lot of questions about that in the South. I know Aveo has had some pretty successful trials on that. Uh, yeah, it has, especially in, uh, we've had a lot of traction with the Aveo in the South with the root knot. I know the, the yield gain versus the uh, cis nematode, which is about two bushel in the North is, uh, and I can't put my finger on the number right now, but I, I know we're, we're doing pretty well there in the South with that. Yeah, I've certainly gotten a lot, of, a lot of comments from farmers in the South that have been using this, uh, seeing some good suppression on their root knot nematode. So, yeah, there's, I know we're focused on soybean cyst nematode today, but definitely other harmful nematodes out there to fight as well. Been talking to Steve Sofer with Valent. Steve, thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. We'll be right back after this. Stay tuned. As your corn crop grows and the ear begins to form, potassium is at a high demand, almost as high as nitrogen. The same is true for soybeans with similar high demands of potassium during pod fill. Don't fall behind and ensure your crop is getting its potassium with Catalyst. 
Catalyst by Actigrow has been shown to be the best at entering the leaf when compared to other leading potassium products. Visit k-supercharged.com for more information. We know balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid has the research, technology, and products you need to grow a great crop. Plus the expertise to give you a recommendation based on your soils, your fields, and your goals. AgriLiquid has the phosphorus, potassium, and micronutrient products necessary to deliver the best results from a solid fertility program. Visit agroliquid.com to find a dealer near you. Your grain bin fans can cost you a lot. High electric bills from running when conditions are not ideal, shrinkage from overdried grain, and spoiled grain all take money out of your pocket. With the Steps GMS app temperature humidity switch, get your bin fans to start making you money. Only run vans when the conditions are right. Eliminate shrink and spoilage in your bins. Deliver grain in top condition at market moisture. When every dollar counts, you need Steps GMS. Contact us today at stepsgms.com. Hey, Bill, any advice to control tough weeds and rootworms? That's easy, Jim. Buy two, save three. Wait, for weeds and rootworms? Buy two, save three. Combine your Impact or new Impact Z herbicide purchase with a qualifying insecticide and save $3 per acre. Buy two, save three. That is good advice. For details, go to buy2save3.com. Impact, Impact Z, and Buy 2, Save 3 are trademarks owned by Amvac Chemical Corporation. All rights reserved. Impact Z is a restricted-use pesticide. Always read and follow label instructions. When it comes to my weed control, I know a head start can go a long way. That's why I spray early, so I can keep control all season long with a Roundup Ready Extend Crop System, the system that makes the difference. This is my field. Choose the Roundup Ready Extend Crop System for control of more weeds than any other soybean system. Featuring Extendamax herbicide with vapor grip technology to manage tough-to-control weeds, including up to 14 days of soil activity, along with the field-proven performance of Roundup ready-to-extend soybeans. Now you have the right tools to extend your weed control and extend your yield with the system that makes the difference. Learn how you can put the system to work in your field when you visit RoundupReadyExtend.com. Extendamax is a restricted-use pesticide. Performance may vary. Always read and follow grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Check local regulations for specific requirements in your state. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio, broadcasting from the Morton studio today, and we're talking about soybean cyst nematodes. Real happy to have Greg Tilka with us with Iowa State University, well known around the world as a, a nematode expert. And I tell you what, Greg, all your talks now starting to see more people coming back in. Uh, what's going on? Well, I'm glad you kind of picked up on that trend as well. Um, it's Mother Nature. Um, we've been warning that the nematode could become resistant to the resistance that we've used for 25 years. And I think um, farmers and agronomists are starting to see it. Um, we certainly see it in our data as well. You know, we look at the, the sources of resistance in the varieties that we're using, primarily using one source of resistance. We mm -hmm. see a few Peking varieties out there. Is there anything mm -hmm. else that, that you're seeing in your testing that's coming down the road that has some promise? Um, really, I don't. There's um, some obscure other sources of resistance that are in 
some relatively advanced soybean lines, but there doesn't seem to be any interest in the industry to uh, commercialize those sources of resistance. So for the foreseeable future, I think we're going to have the common PI88788 resistance and the uncommon Peking resistance. All right. So then we're looking at other other helpers out there, and there are certainly a lot of different products on the market that are that are claiming some help, and and uh, it's tough with nematodes to to get good testing data. I know you've done a lot of tests over the years. What do you see with that? Why why is it tough to get great data uh, out of small tests? Uh, if I knew the answer to that, um, I'd be able to sleep easier at night. Um, I I struggle with the amount of work and effort and money we spend to test various products and um, come up with very few instances of significant uh, differences, significant increases. When when we do detect them, that they're profitable, we can pencil it out for the cost of the product, and it more than pays for the cost, but we just don't know why we see inconsistent performance in our small plot experiments. And it's not like our data are all over the place in terms of yield or nematode numbers. Um, When there's no significant effect, the numbers are are very similar between treated and untreated. So that's something I think about very, very often and don't really have an answer for. A lot of farmers I talk to say, boy, I wish some of these uh, helper-type products weren't seed treatments. I wish they were in furrow so I could turn them off and on. Do you see us down the road managing nematodes this way? Would that be possible to do variable rate applications? It would be possible for sure. Um, I don't know who out there, which companies would be developing products for it, but I, I think we need to be creative. So I like kind of the, the spirit of the, the question you asked. Um, for too long, we've just been on autopilot growing resistant soybeans and rotating with corn and kind of taking care of it, and, and that's slipping away from us. So um, I, I like that you're asking that question and asking about creative approaches to managing SCN. Well, I know I've talked to farmers that have said, well, I can do variable variety planting so I could add an extra treatment on it. Maybe it would be an Elevo or a Clariva or an Aveo or you you name it. There's just a bunch of products out there anymore that I could put on one seed lot. It could even be the same variety, just I'd have extra seed treatment because it's not cheap. Some of these treatments are charging quite a bit. Yeah, I I agree with you. And um, I I just wished we were to the point of being able to do that from a consistency standpoint. Um, I will tell you that there's new products in the pipeline. All the time we're asked to test things. And the one we're going to start testing in 2020 is Saltro. It is Syngenta's product, uh, seed treatment for sudden death syndrome, and uh, there's activity against soybean cyst nematode reportedly, and so we're going to do lab and greenhouse tests this winter and then have it in nine field sites uh, throughout the state of Iowa to check it out. I, I wonder how it works, too, when you think about products like that and Levo that, that are basically SDHI fungicides, Correct. Yep. I, I know what you're saying, but with Alevo in particular, we early on tested the active ingredient, the actual flupyram uh, fungicide and not the whole product. And by golly, it was that pure fungicide um, at the seed treatment rate that was inhibiting the movement of soybean cyst nematode and reducing its viability. So I was it as a skeptic as anybody. It seems illogical, but it most definitely was that fungicide 
affecting the nematode's biology. It's interesting. And and we yeah. just uh, we just had Steve Sofer with Valent on. He was talking about Aveo, which is a bacterial product. And are we going to find, do you think that might be where our answer is if the hard chemistry hasn't been able to just kill the nematodes and keep them off? Um, I actually think the opposite, but I, my, mine is just an opinion. I've always been a big proponent of hard chemistries because you can produce them reliably and they don't die and you can adjust the concentration. But clearly, we're not controlling soybean cyst nematode with hard chemistries. And so um, I'm very happy that we're looking at a biological approach to it as well. And uh, you never know, Mother Nature might provide the tools we need to combat one of her nastiest pests. Do you see other strains of nematodes coming in, uh, like the root-knot nematode and other things into your testing in Iowa? We really don't, and this is a, a well-observed but not very well-documented thing with soybeans across the nation, and it seems like it's either soybean cyst nematode or it's a variety of other nematodes that can feed on soybeans. And in the southern United States, soybean cyst nematode is a minor consideration in soybean fields. Uh, those fields are rotated with cotton and peanuts and other things, and so that promotes the other nematodes that have a broader host range. But up here in north-central United States, where we're in a pretty tight corn-soybean rotation, soybean cyst nematode thrives, and it kind of muscles out all the other competitors. All right, that leads me into uh, the question then. What are the best management practices? Obviously, crop rotation is, is one of them. Yes, so the, there's a national educational program on soybean cyst nematode called the SCN Coalition, and we, they use a lot of our research from Iowa State University and our recommendations, and uh, there's four main recommendations. The first one is to soil sample if you haven't done it recently or ever at all to get a feel for what your numbers are in a particular field. And then assuming you have or when you discover you have SCN, get into a rotation with resistant soybeans and non-host crops like corn, small grain, sunflower. Um, the resistant soybeans, it'd be great if you could use the two different sources of resistance, the common PI88788 and Peking resistance. And then also give a look at these seed treatments. And there are some reports of some data that show promising results. And um, every field seems to be different. And I know it's expensive to, to put these seed treatments out willy-nilly, but take a scientific approach. And I'm talking to farmers and agronomists and, and maybe check these out on a small scale to see if, if they work or where they work on a particular farm. So it's those four things. Um, sampling, resistant soybean varieties, non-host crops, and seed treatments. Okay, uh, back to the sampling, because I know this is one that we get a lot of questions around. It's not like just sticking a soil probe in the ground. Do you like to use a shovel, and do you like to go right in the row where you've got that soybean root mass present? Actually, I, I prefer, and we do this on our research plots, to use a soil probe. And because it's because soybean cyst nematode is so clustered in a field. So if you took a spadeful of soil at three or four places in a field, you could miss a hot spot. Whereas if you took 20 soil cores, your chances of catching low spots and hot spots uh, is, is evened out more. So um, the, it, research has shown the best way to sample for an aggregated critter like soy 
soybean cyst nematode is to take many, many soil cores, put them in a bucket, mix them up real well, and then send in a bag of that soil for testing. Been talking with Greg Tilka with Iowa State. Greg, great, great stuff. Really, really appreciate having you on. Look forward to seeing you out and about this winter. It's always a pleasure to talk to you guys as well. Thank you for having me. Talking soybean cyst nematode on our show today. If you've got other agronomic questions, we'd love to address those too. Our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. You can email us questions as well, radio at agphd.com. We're going to dig into the radio mailbag coming up in a little bit as well. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. You know a healthy crop is required for your best results. Simply put, balanced crop nutrition pays. AgriLiquid Fertilizers have the research, technology, and products to deliver those results. We also have an outstanding team of field agronomists ready to help you with your fertility decisions. AgriLiquid can help you maximize your yield potential effectively and economically. Visit agroliquid.com to find a dealer near you. Build with the best. When you choose Morton Buildings for your next farm storage building, you'll experience the Morton Advantage at every step, starting before the walls even go up. Since the value of our buildings is in its ability to protect what you have stored inside, we ensure that every component is researched and tested to withstand the elements in all weather conditions. And we back it up with the strongest warranty in the business. Looks better. Built stronger. Lasts longer. Learn more at MortonBuildings.com. Revitech fungicide from BASF has been specifically developed for the selective soybean grower who doesn't compromise. If you think good is good enough, if you're okay with just achieving rather than overachieving, if average is your goal, this is not the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide, brand new chemistry, three no excuse modes of action, zero modes of compromise. Sounds like the fungicide for you. Revitech fungicide from BASF, that's smart. Always read and follow label directions. Your independent spirit is more rewarding than ever before. Unlike programs that require growers to purchase a particular seed brand or to bundle certain products, the FMC Freedom Pass program rewards you for making the best choices for your fields. Our exclusive agronomic rewards, performance assurances, application innovations, and product financing make it easier to protect your crops and cash flow. Visit your authorized FMC retailer or fmcfreedompass.com to calculate your potential financial incentive and learn more. Clean fields and higher yields start with a strong battle plan. For soybean growers, there's no stronger ally than Sonic Herbicide. When applied pre-emerge, Sonic has proven to defeat yield robbers like water hemp, mare's tail, and giant ragweed. With long-lasting residual control, it keeps fighting to defend your field from invaders. Visit battleweeds.com to plan your attack against weeds. Always read and follow label directions. Sir, yes, sir!
Welcome back to Ag PhD Radio. Brian Hefty here along with my brother Darren. We are broadcasting today from the Morton studio. Darren and I were talking just during the break and Darren made the comment, yeah, there are fewer people soil testing for cis nematode than there are pulling soil samples for fertility. And I said, well, of course there are. Plus the fact that if you look at the testing methods we have for cis nematode, it's extremely inconsistent. So just for example, we've got some people who have had terrible issues with cis nematode. So they were curious, how how high are my numbers? They pull soil samples, send them in, and the soil tests say they don't have any cis nematode. <laughs> we're going, what? No, that's not right. So Darren said, well, they probably pulled the test wrong. I, did they did they pull like right in the row where the roots were, or were they pulling in between? I said, hmm, I don't know. I'll have to ask him. Well, sure enough, they weren't pulling the samples right. But still, that's kind of the point. When you soil test for fertility, uh, it you pull eight different cores. What are you doing when you're sending in for cis nematode? A lot of times, people just take a uh, sample and, I mean, they take one spot, one core, send it in, and there you go. But anyway, the whole thing is with the cis nematode, there's tremendous variance within the field, even more so than what we find with fertility. So the the reason why in a lot of cases people will say, well, these seed treatments, I don't know that they really pay. It's because they have to treat all the seed. So here's one thing I would like you to think about. You probably now have a planter that can do variable, uh, variable rate, right? But you could in the future, and maybe you do already, have a planter that could do variable variety. So we have that. So we can plant two different varieties as we go. Well, now, not only could you have a better variety for cis nematode, you could also have that variety treated with the seed treatment and put that in your bad SCN areas. Well, now we're on to something. Now, if you invest the dollars in those worst areas, now you're going to say, you know what? The seed treatment probably does pay. But yeah, if you're going to put it across the whole field, then who knows? Well, it could be something too, where you use a different source of resistance. Like Greg Tilk had mentioned the P. King varieties that are out there instead of the Fayette varieties or the PI88788 varieties. And if we're, if we're using um, P. King, well, maybe that would hit that population of nematodes a little different. It, it, it's been interesting. I know even in some of Greg's data from Iowa State, they've found areas where they had known resistance or increased tolerance to the PI88788. And they've put Peking varieties in and they haven't necessarily out yielded the other source of resistance. So I guess when you look at, at nematodes, there's the yield component where, yes, we want to get high yield, but there's also what's the reproduction level happening with those nematodes? Are the numbers increasing in the field or are they going down? And perhaps even if you say, well, I'm not necessarily getting more yield with the Peking, but my nematode numbers are at least staying the same or possibly going down, that's a win. That's a win over time. So, yeah, it's it's neat. The other thing that I thought was interesting out of uh, Toka's comments, he mentioned root knot nematode, how in the south with some different crops in the rotation, 
they've got more root knot nematode because that one hits a wider variety of crops where in the corn soybean rotations common in the Midwest, soybean cyst nematode really thrives. All right, coming back to soybean cyst nematode, one of the things you may not have given this a lot of thought, but if you, let's say, had prevent plant this year, you had corn the year before, and now you say, you know what, in 2020, I'm going to go corn on those acres. Well, now you will have been three years away from soybeans. So hopefully your numbers have gone down quite a bit. It's the same thing we see with sclerotinia white mold. Some people are having a ridiculous amount of problems with sclerotinia white mold. Well, if you go away from a host crop for three years, all of a sudden, then things work a whole lot better. So all I'm saying here is worst case scenario, if you say, man, I got an absolute disaster with cystic nematode, well, just plant a non-host crop for two or three years and your numbers will go down. You'll find that your soybeans now are going to be much more productive in those areas. All right. Uh, Darren, do you want to go to the phone lines quick? Sure. Uh, let's pull up Paul in southeast Minnesota. Paul, how are you doing today? Not too bad, guys. Um, quick question for you. Sorry, it's not about nematodes. Oh, that's okay. Um, no you know problem. what, Paul? There, there isn't a great solution to nematodes. It's not like... Right, so we're getting oh, yeah. sick of talking <laughs> here, here about it. We just it. have to snap our fingers. <laughs> we can get rid of them. I, I wish there was an answer right. like that, though. Yeah. So we're trying to play catch up, and we're we're actually just trying spreading some turkey litter today and incorporating it with a chisel plow. And uh, this litter came directly out of a barn about two weeks ago, did not get decomp added to the pile. So, and there's a lot of wood in it. And we've already had that conversation about tie up, nitrogen tie up with the wood. Right. Um, so my question is, next spring, would I be better off to try and hit the field early with a, a sprayer with decomp and, and do a broadcast type application. This is corn on corn. Or do like I did last year and do an inferral with the planter. Well, the problem... Or maybe a combination. Yeah, the problem with the broadcast thing is you will have already done your tillage. And so if it's me... Uh, yeah, I'd probably do something in furrow. And then, yes, like we talked about before, and I'll just reiterate the point, when you've got wood in there, it really ties up nitrogen. So we're always going to make recommendations to push the nitrogen a little bit more. But this decomp product that Paul's talking about here, it's basically uh, biologicals to help break down residue faster. And that's the whole point. When you've got this intense carbon source, called wood <laughs> that's a real challenge and we want to break that down as quickly as possible certainly tillage can help you're going to throw more oxygen in there and i mean all that's great but that's not going to totally eliminate the problem especially when it's getting on this late but i mean paul don't feel bad you know when you talk about playing catch up uh just about every farmer in the midwest is playing catch up we are as well so that's just part of farming it's the way it goes if it was me i might try a little bit on the broadcast side but more more than likely, I'd probably be doing stuff in the furrow. Okay. 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 Thank you very much. You Appreciate bet. It. You bet. Yeah, thanks for the call. Yeah, it 
I, I feel bad for really every farmer out there, just like on our farm. This was just such a frustrating year. And, you know, this is one of the big things, too. And I, I just remember as a young farmer, it was one of my first years back on the farm full time. And we get done with harvest and I'm super excited. You know, I'm ready to go out partying all weekend. And the, <laughs> I'm talking to my dad and I'm just super jacked up. And he goes, well, Brian, you know, our work's only half done, right? And I go, what do you mean only half done? And he goes, well, now we got to get everything ready for next spring. You know, soil testing, fertility, tiling, tillage, uh, just all these things. So when spring comes, we're not behind the eight ball. Because a lot of times where we farm, it's so cold and so wet that we just don't have a lot of opportunities to get those things done in the spring. So, I, I mean, I'm glad at least that Paul is getting some of that litter out there right now. But this is the frustration of farming in cold, wet environments. And I mean, literally, as soon as the ground is even starting to thaw sometimes in the spring, we're ready to go. We're out there rolling on something. But, you know, it's like this last spring. Okay, how many days did you have to actually do anything? So if you didn't get as much done as possible in the fall, well, then you're behind come spring. And so, yeah, it's just it's been a couple of frustrating falls in a row. So most people are a little bit behind going into spring. So we're just praying for some dry weather in the spring, dry and warm, and hopefully it'll turn out well. You know, Brian, one thing I've been thinking about, too, is we've had this soybean cyst nematode conversation has just been how the wet weather and uh, different challenges farmers faced changed up crop rotations. I know a lot of farmers that have called into the show throughout the year in 2019 have said, yeah, I finally got into the field, but it was too late for corn, so I put soybeans in again. And when we think about that soybeans on soybean ground. And, and then as we go further north in uh, the country, there were guys that were planting soybeans for several years just because it was the crop that was dollaring out the best for them. Those types of situations are ones that we really want to watch out for with soybean cyst nematode. They estimate that it takes about 12 years in a corn-soybean rotation to get soybean cyst nematode in, in parts of the Midwest that haven't seen it yet. In a continuous crop situation like soybeans following soybeans, it can come a lot quicker. All right, we're going to dive into the Ag PhD mailbag coming up right after this. Stay tuned. If you like most farmers, you start thinking about next year's herbicide program right now. And the first step to a clean start next spring is applying Authority MTZ DF herbicide this fall. Nothing burns down tough winter annuals, including common chickweed, henbit, and mare's tail, like a tank mix containing Authority MTZ DF herbicide. Talk to your FMC Star retailer about Authority MTZ DF herbicide or visit fmcauthority.com. Always read and follow label directions. Authority is not registered for sale or use in California. Using NSERVE nitrogen stabilizer with fall fertilizer applications keeps nitrogen available into the spring for maximum crop growth. Field trials in Iowa show NSERVE delivered an average revenue increase of $22.96 per acre, and NSERVE is the only recognized nitrogen stabilizer product in the Iowa Nutrient Reduction Strategy because it reduces nitrate leaching. That's max profit in an environmentally sustainable way. Calculate your field's profit potential at nitrogenmaximizers.com. Are you combining around weed patches, waiting for weeds to dry down, or tired of spring burndown failures? Save time, nutrients, and moisture by including a Valor herbicide brand in your fall burndown program. Valor provides excellent residual control of tough weeds, including kochia, mare's tail, prickly lettuce, dandelion, plus suppression of bromes. 
Proactive, effective weed resistance management starts in the fall. Get a clean start for your next season with Valor Herbicide Brands. Always read and follow label directions. When looking for someone to help with your risk management, a key component to look for is patience. Patience to bring you along in the process at your own speed. Patience to learn about your operation. And patience to not only discuss what strategies may be effective for your plan, but why they would be effective. That's the strength of Grain PhD. I'm Darren Hefty. When you're ready to become more engaged in your risk management, Grain PhD can assist you with that process. Visit grainphd.com to learn more. Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Vellum is Rotam North America's Mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. Come on in. The Ag PhD mailbag is about to begin. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. If you have an agronomic question you'd like us to answer, you can give us a call at 844-44-AG-PHD. We'll get you right on the air. Uh, but if that makes you nervous, you can send us an email, radio at agphd.com. Otherwise, you can find us on Twitter, Ag PhD Media, Brian Hefty or Darren Hefty. All right, first question comes from North Dakota. This is from Wyatt, and he said, I'm wondering if we leave corn in the field at 27 to 30% moisture right now, it's testing 47 to 48-pound test weight. We plan on trying to harvest it in March. Do you think we'll gain some test weight as that corn dries down? Okay, great question. First of all, let me just say I... I feel bad that you, number one, have super light corn. Number two, that it's still standing out there. Uh, did did he happen to say what maturity that corn was? No. Okay. He's from North Dakota? Yes. Okay. The most common thing that I talk to farmers about when it comes to corn in the state of North Dakota is guys who want to plant later corn than for me as an agronomist, I would recommend. So just... Yesterday, I was talking to some guys that wanted to raise some 90-day corn in central North Dakota, and I'm going, whew, uh, for me, 90-day corn, if I'm planting, you know, May 20th, May 25th, that's that's what I would do, and I'm 200 and some miles south of you. So I would never recommend that as an agronomist. I'd, I'd be talking, you know, 75 to 85-day corn, that's it. So, because otherwise you have this risk. And so our goal 
and this is one of the things that our dad talked to us about all the time. Again, you come back to, we got to be thinking about next year all the time. I just mentioned that in the last segment. So for me and for what our dad always said, hey, we want to finish by Halloween. So then at least usually we have 10 days to do all our fertility tillage work and we're done because middle of November, I mean, we, we can't do any more of that stuff. Well, if you're in North Dakota, that date's even slightly earlier. Okay, so that's that's thinking ahead for the future. Now, let's talk about the issue today. If it's 47 or 48 pound test weight, that tells me it may not have even black layered. If it's still 27 or 30% right now and it's 47, 48 pound test weight, um, that that's not real great. It probably didn't even hit black layer. But are you going to gain something? If it had hit black layer, you can gain as much as, they say, about a half a pound for every point of moisture that just naturally goes out through air drying. So in other words, it's still standing in the field, or let's say you had it in a grain bin and all you do is throw air on it. You could theoretically gain that much. I usually don't see that much of a gain, but you see a little bit. Um, If you're going to mechanically dry, or I should... I should say, if you're going to dry it with heat, then it's very common where you see no gain in test weight. Okay, so it all depends on that temperature. So if it's a very low temperature, you'll gain some test weight. But in my experience, and I've dried, I ran our dryers uh, for 20 years on our farm, and I can just tell you, I gained no test weight if I had that heat cranked way up. And I had the heat cranked way up sometimes because I was trying to pull a lot of moisture out, and I didn't have a lot of time because we were running hard. Anyway. To specifically answer this question, how much do I think you're going to gain? Um, well, this late, you usually don't drop a whole lot of moisture because it's it's so late in the season. It all depends on how le- how long you're going to let it stand till sp- in in the spring. So if it's let's say May first and you're finally combining it, yeah, then by then you will have dropped some. You may gain a little test weight. It might get to 50 pounds. You know, maybe a hair more than that. But my concern is if it never hit black layer, it's not going to gain the test weight like it normally would. So I don't have great news for you. Um, and also the the worst thing is when you let it stand to spring, you've got all this risk out there. I mean, snow, wind, deer, who knows what could happen between now and spring. So I've never been comfortable to let it stand out there that long. But the flip side of it is you go, well, I got light corn, so I'm going to get docked there. I've got wet corn, so I got to spend a whole bunch of money drying that down somehow, some way. So unfortunately, there aren't any real great options. And I can certainly understand why you may want to let that that sit till spring. I just unfortunately don't have a real great answer as far as how much test weight you'll pick up. My guess, though, is hopefully you'll be down into the low 20s, and hopefully you'll be at 50-pound test weight. And that 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 would be my guess if you let it stand till like, late April, 1st of May. All right. Thanks a lot for the question, Wyatt. Really appreciate that. Really, really feel for all the farmers, uh, especially up in North Dakota, but in other parts of the of North America as well that, that have got crop out in the field yet. That's a, a tough spot to be in. Hey, though, we I mean, just to talk about that a little bit more. We got to always be thinking ahead on how can we hopefully avoid more of these issues. And that's where I already talked about try to plant earlier corn. But the other side of it is getting planted early using more maybe biologicals or just better seed treatment. So the, the seed treatment package that we have on 
our seed corn that we will plant has, uh, we have 33 treatments. And we can usually pop the corn out of the ground 10 to 20 GDUs faster than anything else. Okay, so that's a big deal. So that gains us a little bit in the fall. The other thing is, take a look at infurrow fertilizer. Usually we'll gain one to two points on moisture by doing that. So, you know, there are things that can be done to push this along, to push your maturity along. And also, I, I mean, I, I like no-till. Okay, so please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying don't no-till. But if you want to push that corn along faster, you will absolutely do tillage. Okay, now it could just be tillage in the row. Strip till is fine too, but you've got to turn it black. If it's black, it's going to absorb more heat. You're absolutely going to have that corn mature faster. So, um, you know, just take a look at all the things that can be done to speed that crop along. Good fertility is another really super important thing. Have lots of K out there, lots of phosphorus, have the right amount of nitrogen. Uh, so anyway, lots of things can be done. So hopefully we can reduce the chance of these issues in the future. All right. Uh, let's go to another question. This is from Cindy in Minnesota. And Cindy said, I was reading your uh, magazine this fall and had a question regarding how you calculate the soybean loss that Darren is showing in the picture on page 15 of your October and November publication. I'd like to know the formula you use for harvest loss and wonder if you would send that to me. Hey, Cindy, thank you so much. Really appreciate that. We actually have an app that, that we've developed and it's free to use. It's the Ag PhD Harvest Loss app. It's a free download for your smartphone or tablet. Uh, I'd suggest loading that up because you've got multiple crops on there in, in addition to soybeans. But uh, just to run through for your question's sake here, what, what we do on soybeans and how that's calculated. So with soybeans, roughly four seeds per square foot is a bushel. Now, it all depends on how big those seeds are. So you can use a lot of different examples. So, for example, I'm just going to use 2,800 seeds per pound. That's kind of an average soybean seed size. And say that we dropped four seeds per square foot at harvest time. Uh, how I would figure this out is I'd, I'd go out, I'd measure off a square foot in the field, count seeds up, and I found four. Then I multiply times how many square feet are in an acre. So that would be 43,560 square feet. Then I'd divide by how many seeds per pound there are, in this case 2,800 seeds per pound. And then I'd divide that number by how many pounds are in a bushel. Well, there's 60 pounds in a bushel for soybeans, and that'll give you your bushels per acre, which in this case figures out to be 1.04. So just take your seeds per foot times the square feet in an acre divided by seeds per pound and divided by the pounds in a bushel, and that'll tell you exactly how many bushels you have per acre. As you can see, that's why we have an app, because most people don't want to do all that math. You just pull up the Harvest Loss app well, it's, it's for a lot PhD. Yeah, it's, it's a lot fast. faster when you just type in just a couple of things. And, and then the other thing that we do on the app is you can type in what your price per bushel is. So let's just say for a rough figure that your price was $10 per bushel on soybeans, because that's what Brian wants to get out of his soybeans. He's going to leave them in the bin, I think, until they're worth at least 10 So if you've got at 1.04 bushels times 10 bucks. Well, uh, there you go. You get $10.40 per acre that you dropped on the ground. Now, the reason this is so important is because we are in control of harvest loss. And we talk all the time about things you could do to protect your yield out in the field. Well, your yield is made. You're ready to drive the combine through the field. And then we're dropping some on the ground or we're not 
picking it all up or leaving some pods at the bottom of the plant or something like that. Uh, I was just talking with our research lead, Glenn, uh, earlier today, and he had a plot where it was a two-bushel difference driving across the field because it was all leaning one way, and he tried going uh, back and forth across the field. And he said, if I drove and the plants were leaning away from me, I was losing two bushels per acre. And when they were leaning towards my combine, it was two bushels higher. So you definitely want to watch for harvest loss on your farm. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again for more Ag PhD Radio.